aren't we grateful for our mamas? Our mamas have done so much for us, the sacrifices that, that they've made for us. And there's no doubt, looking at all those sacrifices, that moms love their kids. But sometimes, sometimes, mamas get a little weary, don't they? I heard uh, of a cure for a mom who's feeling a lot of tension and who, you know, having a terrible headache, kids are screaming, hollering, all of that. And for those of you who still have children at home, I want to share this cure with you. It's pretty simple. You go to the medicine cabinet, you get that bottle of Tylenol, and you follow the directions on the back of that bottle exactly. What does that bottle say? Take two Tylenol and keep away from children. And if you do that, moms, I assure you, your headaches, they're going to go away. Your your headaches, they're disappearing. Now, I'm, I'm obviously only joking. We're grateful for mamas, but we're also grateful for our kiddos. Um, this morning, we continue our journey through the book of Colossians. We will see that the section of Colossians that we're in this morning is going to talk about family and how a family ought to operate. What guidance can we gain from God's word to strengthen families? Well, that's what we'll think about this morning. Um, uh, in ancient times, Household codes were, were common. These were codes that, that basically said how a household ought to operate. And they were common because ancient cultures recognized without a strong family, the culture couldn't be strong. And so these, these household codes would, would be put in place. And this morning we'll see as we look at Colossians 3 that the directions that are given to families here are different strikingly different than the directions that are given to families in, in other ancient household uh, codes. Um, in Colossians 3, 18 through 21, this is the main idea. Pursue a Christ-honoring home. Pursue a Christ-honoring home. That's the main idea of this passage that, that we'll look at this morning. Paul provides two ways to do that. First, honor Christ in your marriage. Honor Christ in your marriage. Paul begins by addressing wives. He urges wives to be submissive to their husbands. Now, to our 21st century ears, this sounds offensive, even oppressive. But let's think about this verse more clearly. I'll suggest four reasons that the teaching that we see here isn't oppressive for ladies, but ultimately liberating. First, let's consider what this verse isn't saying. This verse isn't saying that the husband's desire in a marriage come first. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that women are inferior to men. It doesn't say that women can't work outside of the home. It doesn't say that a woman is to submit to all men, only to her husband. Second, this passage should be understood in its historical context. While calling for submission is shocking in our culture, in reality, it was shocking to ancient readers as well, but for exactly the opposite reasons. You see, no other household codes have been discovered that called for a man to love his wife, that called a man to sacrifice himself for the good of his family. Those kinds of commands are present nowhere in in other ancient codes. So what sounds oppressive to us was remarkably uplifting to women when Paul wrote these words. Third, what this verse says can't be adequately understood without a grasp 
of its immediate context. In Colossians 3, 19, Paul urges husbands to love their wives. And in a similar passage in Ephesians 3, or 5, 25, Paul says to husbands, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What did Jesus do for the church? He sacrificed his very life for the church. So a woman's submission to her husband occurs in the context of a marriage where a husband puts the needs of his wife and his family first. One author said it this way, in the drama of marriage, the wife's needs come first. And the husband's drive to prioritize himself is cut down with the brutal acts of the gospel. So while this verse does call for submission of a wife to her husband, it does so only in the context of a loving, sacrificial leadership from her husband. Fourth, this passage is about the roles of husbands and wives in the marriage relationship. It isn't about the essence or identity of a woman. For woman like man was created in the image of God. We see that in Genesis 1.27. Also, the word that's used for submit in this verse, the very same word is used in the Greek language in 1 Corinthians 15.28, where Christ is submitting to the Father. And certainly we know that Christ isn't less than the Father. No, this verse isn't suggesting that men and women aren't equal before God only that in marriage they, they have different roles. Galatians 3.28 says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the essence or identity of women isn't addressed in this passage. It's about roles. Now let's consider what submission looks like in marriage. The word that's translated submission is different from the word that's translated obey in verse 20 regarding the relationship between parents and children. It's important to, to, to note that difference. The word submit indicates a voluntary willingness on the part of a wife to submit to her husband. I heard one preacher say it like this, husbands, you may be the head, but your wife, she's the neck. And if you think about that, it's true. In other words, this wife is placing herself voluntarily under the leadership of her husband. No husband can be a leader in his family if his wife doesn't permit him to do so. It just doesn't work. What God does in this passage is to create order. When God looks at a family, he looks at dad and he says to dad, you are responsible for the ultimate welfare of your family. That's not on your wife, sir. That's on you. That's what God is doing here. This leaves no room for uninvolved dads or or dads who are so tied up with careers or other pursuits that they can barely remember the names of their kids. There's no room for that. It requires husbands to love their wives and children in such a way that families flourish. Now, our society is an anti-order society. We frequently resent any kind of authority or, or hierarchy, and yet humanity flourishes with the proper order. We all know that to be true. Here, God sets up order to strengthen families so that a husband understands the weight that God has placed on him and a wife permits her husband to take on this responsibility. Paul gives the reason for this submission. He says at the end of verse 18 that this kind of behavior is fitting in the Lord. In other words, wives allowing their husbands to be the leaders of the home is right if a wife takes the name of Christ. It's what God has called her to do. Next, Paul gives two commands to husbands, one for wives, two for husbands here. God calls husbands to love their wives. As we saw earlier in Ephesians 5.25, Paul calls their 
uh, uh, husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church. What kind of leadership does a husband provide for his family? He sacrifices himself for the good of his wife and family. Now, Christianity is accused of, of being patriarchal and abusive to women. And I want you to know, some of you young people, as you go off to the university and you take um, sociology or you take some kind of gender studies class or a, a religious studies class or, or whatever, you're going to hear some professor tell you Christianity is one of the patriarchal religions, oppressing women, putting women down leading to the abuse even of women. But friends, when that has happened, it has always, always happened contrary to the teachings of this book, never in accord with them. You see, the Bible gives no cover to the dictator. It gives no cover to the abuser. So any husband who, who operates as a dictator, any husband who operates as, abuse, as an abuser and tries to claim that this book gives him the license to do so is a liar. The book gives no right. In fact, there are commands all over the word that say that those kinds of things are not okay and that they are sinful and wicked. The teachings of the Bible call a husband not to be a demanding despot, but a sacrificial servant. Any husband who's telling his wife that he's the head of the home, so she better get in line, has missed the whole point of this passage. The passage is meant to put us men on the hook. It's meant to get us in the game. It's meant to stir us to recognize the weighty call that God has given us in loving our families well. Like a well-watered tree that's covered in green leaves and flourishing, so families should thrive under our sacrificial love and care. Next, Paul commands husbands not to be bitter toward their wives. In other words, don't allow bitterness to grow up in your heart so that you treat your wife with disrespect and you treat her with harshness. Work through issues. Don't allow bitterness to grow in your heart. Some of you men are, are here today and you have allowed a root of bitterness to grow toward your wife. You don't treat her tenderly like you used to. You, you're, you're rough with her. The words that you say are, are, are aggressive at times. Man, that's not what God wants from you. It's not what he's called you to. He's calling you to behave differently. I heard the story of a four-year-old little girl named Emma. And, and Emma had just been told the tale of Snow White in her preschool class. And she could not wait to tell her mother. First time she had heard that story, she couldn't wait to tell her mother uh, uh, this story. So her mom picks her up and she starts to tell uh, uh, this tale to her mother. And after explaining how Prince Charming had arrived on the white horse, kissed Snow White, and then she came back to life. Emma asked her mother loudly, Mom, Mom, do you, do you know what happened next? And her uh, mother said to her, Well, sure, Emma, honey, I, I know what happened next. They lived happily ever after. And Emma kind of frowned and said, No, Mama, they got married. <laughs> well, it's sometimes like that, isn't it? You know, marriage can be challenging, and we all know that it isn't happily ever after. We live in a sinful world, and when two people get married, you got two sinful people living under the same roof, you know, just together all the time. That's going to be difficult, and it is difficult. And yet, God's Word gives us guidance in how a marriage ought to work. So let's think about establishing marriages that honor Christ. What does this look like where the rubber meets the road in day-to-day -day living? Well, first, wives... 
sub- should submit to their husbands. Wives should submit to their husbands. What does this actually look like in a marriage? A wife should encourage and support her husband in his efforts to nurture, provide for, and lead the family. She should strive to build him up and strengthen him. She should be his greatest supporter. So when does submission really come into play? Well, when there's a difference of opinion that can't be resolved. When there are concerns, a husband and a wife ought to work together as a team to to try to, to sort through the issues. Rarely, men hear me say this, rarely should a husband make a decision contrary to the views of his wife. That should very rarely happen. You say, well, why, pastor? Is that just your opinion? It's not my opinion. Look in Genesis 2.18. What did God create your wife to be? She's a gift to you to be your helper. So, so what kind of a fool rejects the, the gift that God has given us? Someone who's given to us to walk alongside us and be our helper. No, men, you ought to listen to the counsel of your wives. Rarely should you go against her opinion. But when there is disagreement that simply can't be resolved, the husband is ultimately responsible. And God will hold him accountable for the decision that he makes. And in this situation, a wife is called upon to trust the Lord, knowing that her husband bears the responsibility before God. Next, husbands should love their wives. What does this look like? Instead of pouring all of your energy and your time into your career, into your hobbies, men, serve your wife. Give her some time off from chasing after kids. Don't leave all the household chores on her. Jennifer would probably tell you, you know, in the week leading up to this sermon, I seem to do better. (laughs) I I don't know what it is. That's probably true, isn't it, honey? Anyways, um, help with those responsibilities. She's like, Richard, preach it every week. Okay. So when, when you come home from work, men, realize that you're really beginning your second shift. Your, your day's not over. Your job's not done. You've come home. You've come home to serve and to lead in your family. So don't sit in front of the TV and park it there all evening. Or grab the iPad, wasting the night away watching YouTube videos. Engage with your family. Serve your wife. Sacrifice yourself for your wife. Get involved in the lives of your kids. We don't need deadbeat men doing only what is comfortable for us. We need men who recognize that Christ has called us to lay our lives down for the good of that lady and the good of those kids. That's what God has called us to. And don't we need those kind of men in society? Men, this challenges me too. I I constantly struggle to live up to, to what God's word has called us to do, but it is what we must be if we take the name of Christ. Also, give your wife room to develop her gifts, her passions, her passions, her calling. In other words, your wife ought to be growing and thriving under your leadership. Do what it takes, men, to help her do just that to thrive and grow. Also, live out the biblical roles for husbands and wives. Because of time, I'll only make a few summary statements. A husband must lovingly lead and provide for his family. Regarding this responsibility, you see Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, 1 Timothy 5, 8. So a husband seeks to meet the, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual needs of his family. And a wife has a responsibility to, to care for her home. Paul says in Titus 2, 3 and 4, in the same way, older women are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. A mother may work outside of the home if she and her husband so choose. 
but her primary focus should be her family. Today's society puts a lot of pressure on women to be superwomen, to have the perfect family, to look like a supermodel, to advance in their careers, to be Pinterest perfect. But the Bible doesn't place these kinds of impossible expectations on women. The Bible's primary call for a wife is to focus on her home. She may do more. She's certainly permitted to, but she must not do less. Ultimately, as husbands and wives live out their calling in marriage, marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ's unfailing love for the church. We see this reality in Ephesians 5, 21 through 34. Jesus loved people so much that he went to the cross and he died on the cross. He took the punishment for our sins upon himself. Then he was buried and he came back to life, defeating death and sin. And when we turn from our sin and we place our faith in Jesus, he saves us. We, we become a part of his people. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. And our earthly marriage relationship is meant to point people to this glorious spiritual reality. Our earthly marriages are meant to show people how much Christ loves his bride, how much Christ loves his people, the church. Next, I want to say a quick word to singles. Singles who want to marry should learn from the Bible's teaching on the family. If you're single and want to be married, look for the right kind of man or woman. A woman should look for a man who's walking with Jesus and who she'd be willing to follow. A woman, or pardon me, a man should look for a lady who demonstrates respect to those in the authority in her life and a woman who's willing to, to put a focus or a priority on her family. Don't expect to have a marriage that honors Christ if you aren't striving to be the kind of man that you need to be or the kind of lady that Christ has called you to be. And if you aren't seeking that kind of person. Sometimes people think, ladies will, will say, hey, I'm going to marry this guy. He, now, that I, you know, now that I'm dating him, he started coming to church with me. Hadn't been going to church before, but he goes to church now that we're dating. It's going to be great. We're going to get married. He's going to, you know, he's going to be such a... No, you get married and what do you find? You had the kind of guy that you met when you first met. He's not interested in church. He came to church because that's what he had to do to, to, to make things work. But now he's no interest in that. Men, women who are single, look for a fella, look for a lady who's already walking with Jesus. Don't think you're going to be the one who's going to rehabilitate them. Don't do that. God can do that. You can't do that. You, you better find a fella who loves Jesus, ladies, men, you better find a lady who really loves the Lord and walks with him. So how do you pursue a Christ-honoring home? First, by honoring Christ in your marriage. How else do you pursue a Christ-honoring home? Honor Christ in parent and child relationships. Honor Christ in parent and child relationships. In verse 20, Paul commands children to obey their parents in everything. Paul addresses children who are living at home, who are still under the direct authority of their parents. What this means is that children are to do what their parents tell them to do. Notice that Paul says in everything. In other words, children are, are to obey in all circumstances. This means that teenagers are to obey their parents even when they don't agree with the rules. Of course, children are called to obey parents unless a parent requires a child to, to engage in some, some sort of a sinful behavior. If a dad said to a kid, hey, I want you to, to help me. We're going to sell these drugs. Obviously, a kid needs to obey God and, and not dad. And that scenario would, would need to get help. Also, it needs to be very clear that children are not required to suffer abuse. And if there's any children or teenagers here today who are suffering some kind of abuse, I want to urge you to get help, to tell a trusted adult, God has not called you to face abuse. When, when you are being abused, that is sinful and wicked. And God's word says that it is evil. It, if you are facing abuse, 
get help from a trusted adult. God does not want you to endure that. When children are no longer under the the care and the protection, the provision of their, their parents, obedience isn't required, but honor is. Children of all ages are called to honor dad and mom. The fifth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 12, makes that very clear. In verse 21, Paul turns his attention to parents. He says to parents, don't exasperate your children. What does it mean to exasperate a child? He speaks directly to dad. The word there can apply to both parents. And clearly, the intent of this passage is that it does. What does it mean to exasperate a child? Well, the word for exasperate in the Greek can mean to stir someone to action or to make someone become bitter or resentful. The idea is that parents should avoid parenting in a manner that provokes resentment or bitterness in children. What happens when a parent exasperates a child? Well, Paul says that the child becomes discouraged. In other words, this can provoke a child to lose heart. When children feel they can't please parents, they give up. In a similar passage in Ephesians 6, 4, Paul also calls parents to raise their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, parents are responsible to create an environment where children may grow spiritually and see what Jesus is like and learn the truths of the Bible. So the home, the Christian home, is meant to be like a cocoon where a dad and a mom are committed to one another and then they're committed to raise these children in the Lord. And we know that Sometimes children can be more like caterpillars than butterflies, but that's the whole point of a Christian home, to help children grow and develop and become who God intended them to be. I read about a boy who had made his mom a Mother's Day card. It was a great big piece of paper. He had folded it in half. He had drawn a a boy with his shoes untied, with a wagon, toys, smudges were all over the card. And on the outside of the card, it said this, Mom, I remember the prayer that you used to pray for me every single day. And then you open up the card, and on the inside it read, God, help me if you ever do that again. (laughs) Now, I'm pretty sure there are some mamas in here who pray that prayer regularly. (laughs) You know, parenting can push us to our limits. And yet, parents... It's the greatest call in the world to shape little hearts. We don't always know what to do. We we don't always know how to make the best move. But brothers and sisters, when we look to this book and we strive to to live out the truths that are here and teach our kids the truths that are here, it's going to make a difference in their lives. It's going to matter. It's going to make us um, stronger as a family. Let's think about living this out. Uh, in our daily lives. Children and teenagers, if you were a child or a teenager, even a, a college student perhaps who still your parents are providing for you and taking care of you, you need to listen to this. You're kind of in that gray area, but, but you're still underneath your parents' care and, and support. Um, you need to do what your parents say. It's been observed that obedience is doing what your parents say when they say it, and with the right attitude. Children, let me give you some examples. If mom says to you, hey, I want you to clean up your room, And then an hour later, you haven't started, but you're planning to, you're going to, but an hour later, you haven't. That's called disobedience because obedience is doing what they say when they say it. Or teenagers, suppose dad tells you, hey, leave your sister alone. And you do leave your sister alone, but as he says it, you roll your eyes. That's called disobedience. It's disrespect. That's not obedience. 
Children, teenagers, obedience is doing what they say, when they say it, and with the right attitude. That is obedience from a biblical perspective. Teenagers, obey your parents even when you disagree with them and you think their rules are unfair. Obey them even then. It could be that you're right. Some of the rules may not be fair, but God calls you to obey your parents anyway. Like, your, like, like you, teenagers, your parents aren't perfect. They'll mess up. But obeying your parents, even when you don't get it, is the right thing to do. In the end, you'll be far better off obeying than disobeying. God has placed your parents in your life to protect you and to shape you. So obey, even when you feel they're being unfair. When my boy was very young, we went to a house that had a, a propane space heater. And it, and it had an open flame. And he wanted to touch that flame. He, he wanted to. And we would say to him, Landon, you can't touch that flame. And he would try, and then he would start crying that we wouldn't let him. But I can tell you now, at the mature age of five, he's awful glad that I didn't let him touch that flame. And teenagers, this is the reality of it. You're not going to understand some of the things that your parents say to you. But one day, you'll be so thankful that they stopped you from touching the flame. I can assure you, you'll be grateful. Now, adult children, this is a word for all of us. We have the responsibility to care for aging parents. 1 Timothy 5.8 makes that clear. And if you look at the whole chapter of 1 Timothy 5, there's a sense in which the church has responsibility for, for older folks or, or folks who are in trouble. But if their families are available. Their families are responsible for taking care of them. So adult children, we need to understand our responsibility to care for our aging parents. It's on us. God's given us that role. That's how the family works. They took care of us, and by God's hand, His providence, we are meant to take care of them. A few words to parents. Parents, be careful not to provoke your child. It's, it's easy to do, but it's not the right thing to do. What, what kind of parenting exasperates children? Well, when we nitpick a child, when, when we critique their every single move, that wears kids out. When we're yelling at them and we're, we're responding to them in out-of-control anger, that provokes them. When we're refusing to acknowledge the efforts that they make, when we belittle them, and the list could go on, parents, anything that causes your child to lose heart, to get discouraged, we need to... We need to stop those kinds of, uh, of uh, uh, approaches with our kids. And parents, lead your kids to love Jesus. Want to know the greatest way to do that? It's to love them yourself. It's to get up every morning and spend time reading the word. It's to get up every morning and to spend time praying. And it's to, to love them day in and day out. It's to say to your kids, hey, I'm sorry I dropped the ball in this or that. I... I don't want to be that. I want to be what God calls me to be. You, you see what I'm saying to you, parents, is the best way to help your kids love Jesus is just to love Jesus yourself because this is clearly one of those situations in which, in which much more is caught than taught. So parents, love them. It'll probably eventually have an effect on them. Also teach them. You have the primary responsibilities, we've already said, to teach your kids the word of God. And make sure that you love Jesus. Make sure that you're putting the right example before them. And you know what? We can't guarantee where our kids will turn out. You can love Jesus with all your heart and walk with him with all your heart. This is a sinful world. They may still walk away from the Lord. 
We can't determine that. We're still called to be faithful. And then we, we trust God. We lay the foundation that we can and we trust him. In our country, families have fallen apart. Divorce is rampant. Cohabitation is common. Marriage has been redefined. Abuse is everywhere. Children are growing up without daddies. Moms are forced to carry the weight often of a family alone. And many fathers who are present are present, taking up space, but not in any other way present. And yet many in our culture absolutely despise the Christian understanding of the family, or at least their distorted view of it. But are we really better off as a culture? Has we slough off the Bible's teachings about family? Friends, we are not. Our culture is struggling in so many ways. What a difference it would make if marriages were healthy, if, if husbands loved their wives and sacrificed for their wives, if, if daddies loved on their kids, if dads nurtured their kids in the faith and taught their, their boys and their girls what it meant to walk with Jesus. What a difference it would make in our culture. If mamas respected dads and supported them, and if, if dads would, would lay down their lives for the good of their wives. If parents stopped having an obsessive focus on the things that are less important, things you can still be involved in, but that are less important. If, if we quit putting such a focus on our kids being superstars when it comes to sports or superstars in academics or in music or, or you name whatever it is, and we put our focus on saying, okay, this kid, I may want him to be good in sports, fine. But it's going to be clear that what I really want is him to love Jesus, sports, other things. They're down here on the list. I want them to love Jesus. Think of what a difference. If these are the kinds of families that we had, what a difference it would make. So let's pursue Christ-honoring homes. What change do you need to make? What do you need to do to, to get things right with your spouse? Some of you here today are out of sorts with your husband or your wife. What can you do to turn the tide there? Others of you aren't out of sorts, but the truth is your marriage is just sort of mediocre. Nothing's really happening. What can you do to help your marriage grow stronger? You see, if we don't strengthen our marriages, they often, they often fall apart. So we've got to purposely strengthen marriages. What can you do to strengthen your marriage? Husband, what initiative can you take to make your marriage stronger? Ladies, what can you do? And parents, what, what can you do to, to win back the heart of your child, to turn over a new leaf? Maybe you need to sit down and say, look, honey, I've been handling things all wrong. I want to say I'm sorry. Children, teenagers, some of you have been rebellious towards your parents. You've disobeyed your parents. You need to sit down and say, Dad, Mom, I'm sorry for the way I've been acting. I, I, I want to make a change. Will you pray with me that, that I'll be able to do better? And you know what? When we have this kind of heart to want to honor God with our families and we pray and ask Him for help, He'll help us. Now, I want you to know, as we conclude, that marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ's love for his people. But the Bible also tells us in the book of Revelation that one day there will be a grand wedding celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Christ will be the groom and where his people, all those who have turned to him in faith and have put their faith in him will be the bride and there'll be a great celebration. It'll be an incredible and amazing time. Friend, I ask you, will you be there that day?
Will you be there that day for for that great wedding celebration when Christ marries his bride, his people? There's only one way that you can be there. It is when you've turned away from your sin and you've placed your faith in Jesus. If that has not happened in your life, I want you to know as good as you've been, as much church as you've been to, you will not be there on that glorious day. The Bible makes it clear. The only way to have a relationship with God and to have eternal life is to have turned from your sin and to have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. If that hasn't happened, today could be the day on Mother's Day. In just a moment, we're going to pray together. Take a few moments for reflection. After that, we'll stand and sing. And when we stand and sing, if you would like to know more about how to know Christ, how to have a relationship with him, I'll be here, Ralph Huerta will be here, and we would love to visit with you more about that. So in a moment when we stand and sing, you come forward and let us talk with you more about that. Let's pray.